Hello, Mississippi and abroad. This is Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. Welcome to another edition of Justify Your Existence, where we bring you the relevant talk in Mississippi and the SEC. We'd like to thank our partners, the Oxford Park Commission. Lots of good things going on there at OPC. A lot of offerings for youth and adults alike. Registrations ongoing right now uh, for pickleball, uh, fencing, a lot of other things. They're gearing up for fall flag football as well. Lots of things going on there uh, at OPC. Michael Katz, is <clears throat> he's in town, our new Ole Miss rider. Uh, he'll be in position to take advantage of the Oxford Park Commission. Michael, how are you, man? I'm good. It's been, it's been a long few days traveling from uh, the Mountain West, but I made it, and uh, relatively in one piece. I'm just happy to be in town finally. Well, man, you're not only in town, you, you were like in prime real estate, uh, man. You, you didn't get to town and, and go to like the, you know, like uh, one of the, the flea bags. There are a couple of those. Um, but right there at, uh, at the graduate, uh, at the corner of Lamar and, uh, and University, uh, you know, a nice new uh, property there. And uh, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, tell us about uh, the trip down. You drove from Denver, right? You were in Laramie, but spent a night from spent a night in, <clears throat> in Denver before you started out. Is that right? Yeah, because it, it, Denver cuts off about two hours and it just makes me feel like I'm closer. Yeah. Um, and so I started from Denver, basically broke it up into three, six ish hour drives. So I spent one night in Kansas, one night in Springfield, Missouri, and then I ended up here. So it was, uh, it, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was boring for sure. Yeah. But it wasn't that bad. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if you went through Springfield, you probably never made it on that, uh, I-40 stretch from Little Rock to, to Memphis. That's the one that, uh, wears me out with all the trucks and everything. So many trucks, uh, uh, going to Memphis from Little Rock. But uh, anyway, long drive, but uh, you're here now and, and another big step in uh, in getting settled. I know uh, being in transition can uh, can wear you out. Hey, I talked uh, college football realignment yesterday with Stefan Kreischnick, our new Mississippi State rider coming in from, from Indiana. So I kind of kept him in his wheelhouse. We talked about uh, the Big Ten and you know, and what that might look like in the new uh, order of college football. You, you've been in the West, uh, Boise, and, and more recently, Wyoming. Uh, tell me about BYU. How do you think uh, – where do you think they end up? They're kind of in the neighborhood uh, for the West over there, uh, still trying to do the independent thing. Uh, what do you think happens with BYU and the new landscape? BYU's always been really interesting because I think BYU has always sort of thought of itself – like Notre Dame-ish in terms of the appeal. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've had moments where, where they've been a, a big player, but I think that they've, they've kind of – they've bet on themselves a little bit too much at times. And I think, you know, they're doing fine independent-wise. You know, they've been in the Mountain West. They've been in the WAC. They've, they've done that. Um, I, I, I do think that they are an attractive piece for – a bigger conference, if that's how things go, if it goes to, you know, four mega conferences or whatever it ends up being. Um, because, you know, in the way that Notre Dame does, they have a, they have a following outside of football. And I think that sort of demographic is always going to be really attractive because you are always going to have fans uh, no matter how good they are. And 
Um, I, 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 they've, yeah, they've always been really interesting because there's been a lot of potential there. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful stadium, you know, again, Lavelle Edwards and you, know, you have this quarterback history I mean, you, they have had some really nice, you know, seasons and players, but they have sometimes I think over overstated where they kind of stand in the college football world. And it's kind of bit them a few times. Um, you know, the, the independent thing worked out great for them, you know, this past year because they got to schedule anyone they wanted. And in this crazy season where everyone was canceling, they kind of got to put together a very favorable schedule very quickly. And, and obviously they went 10 and one, 11 one and whatever it was. Um, and so I think there is that, I, I think the idea of being independent is something that a school like BYU does really like, but I, I do think that like big picture, I think they're going to be really attractive for one of the super mega conferences, whatever we, we want to call it, uh, because they have a, a demographic following outside of football. And I think that when you're looking at all of those factors, um, I, I think TV money, all that kind of stuff, it, it's going to make a big difference. So I would not be surprised to see them be one of the ones that does really well out of this. It's going to be interesting to see uh what the number ends up being in the mega conference is the number 16 or is the number 20? Uh, if it's 20, then you've got inequity. You've got imbalance in those mega conferences because, you know, to if you've got four super conferences, uh, you're reaching deep to get 80 teams. And I, I don't think 20 is going to be the number. And I don't think the, the networks, I don't think ESPN is going to want imbalance in the super conferences. I don't think they're going to want a 20-team SEC uh, with 16 teams in the other leagues. So if the number is 16, um, some somebody in the Power Five is going to get left out, you know, and and does, does BYU get in? Does BYU get into one of these, uh, a new conference, so to speak? Uh, does somebody, uh, a Kansas State, or, or, or you know, some uh, somebody get left out? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how that all plays out. Uh, you've been covering a lot recently uh, in the Group of Five, uh, Mountain West, uh, the American. We've seen what people have done there. MAC Conference USA, Sun Belt. Uh, of these, of the Group of Five, what teams do you think? Uh, are best positioned for a good landing spot in this, uh, in this new landscape. So, and that's, that's been the interesting thing working with a group of five school and kind of seeing where they stand on it. Um, a lot of, you know, mountain West schools are, are scared right now because they know that there are a lot of factors, obviously that will go to you going into a super conference, but um, a lot of its location and a lot of it is academics and a lot of it is, you know, kind of staying power. And I think a lot of schools, you know, Boise State is the school that's always thought of itself of, you know, you know, they'll be in the Pac-12 or, you know, they've, they've been trying to kind of take that next step. And, you know, maybe they do end up being one of the ones that prospers. But, you know, you look at uh, places like Wyoming and Air Force and they're they're worried right now because, they know that they're probably not going to get the invite to one of the big ones. And that leaves all of these small schools in a really, 
really, really tough spot. And um, I think for me, the way I look at it is I think that schools in like the AAC are going to be fine because you look at where they're located. You know, you've got like SMU. That's That's been a Southwest Conference school. Like that's been in a big conference before. You could throw them into the big 20, whatever it's going to be called. Um, and they would, they, they'd be fine. You know, Tulane, uh, they've been in the SEC before. Um, you know, I, I think there's schools that you can, you can move around and they'll make sense regionally. And they have, you know, these big, um, you know, big markets and stuff. And again, so much of this has to do with how much money can you make the conference? Um, and that's why I think a place like Wyoming is really scared right now because they know they're not going to make a ton of money for the conference because that's just, it's, it's not a money making market. And so I think places like Dallas and, and, and New Orleans and, and, um, you know, places like that, I think are, are the ones that are going to be just fine. I think they will kind of assimilate in and, um, uh, and be just fine. But, you know, you look at those, those mountain West programs, those, um, um, you know, the Sunbelt. No, actually, I think Sunbelt will be okay, too, because I think they can kind of assimilate, too, regionally. They might be on the bottom end of those 20-team conferences. But, again, I think regionally, you know, they'll, they'll be fine. But I think you know, schools in the Mountain West are, are really scared right now um, because they, they stand to kind of be left out, and, and I think they realize what's at stake. Well, certainly uh, an interesting time in college athletics. Let's, let's talk uh, Ole Miss a little bit. Uh, you know, you've been learning the Rebels on the go since being hired here. Uh, I think uh, think you've come to understand that the defense really uh, was not very strong last year. Why is it going to be better? Well, I, I always joke, it can't get worse, right? Um, but it That's probably dangerous. It dangerous. You, know, you know, you say I that know. trouble. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, I, I, the big talking point at media days was we don't want to make excuses, but not having spring practice really, really hurt. And that was kind of the big thing for the defense. They said they just never really felt cohesive and, um, you know, they were young, there were a lot of moving parts and, um, you know, one of the thing, again, that they really went back to was not having spring ball. And, you know, you can kind of look at it as, well, the offense did just fine. You know, what's why couldn't the defense and, you know, certain programs, certain things are going to be ahead of schedule. Um, but I, I, I think that just, you know, when you've got 10 starters coming back and just a, a lot of depth, um, I know experience doesn't matter if it's not good experience. Uh, but I, I do think that it's hard to say that a defense that gave up 38 point, whatever points per game, you know, might've been better than it looked because it probably wasn't. But I think when you have those pieces there, they've had a full spring, you know, they've had a full off season, you know, are they going to be the best in the sec? Probably not. Uh, I think Lane Kiff wouldn't be extremely excited if they were, but it's probably not going to happen. But, you know, if you get that score, it sounds crazy, but you get that scoring defense down to like 28, that's a 10 win team. <laughs> and so, you know, and so, you know, when you're averaging close to 40, it, it's, it's, you know, the defense doesn't have to be, you know, Bama of 2009 that, you know, gave up like 12 points a game, but, 
yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of optimism that it's going to be enough. It's going to be better. Maybe not a world beater, but it's going to be enough that it's not going to be the reason they lose games. And I think that's the most you can ask for, given where they were last year. Tell you what, I know that uh, having the spring and having a year in the system and all, all those things will help make 10 returning starters better. But it was, you know, there was a talent issue. There just, there just was. That, that was another, another factor. And uh, I think some of the new guys coming in, there will be someone among those 10 starters who doesn't start this year. Okay. And uh, I, there are going to be some impact transfers. And I'm really interested to see. Uh, Jake Springer, you know, when you look at his numbers at Navy, 16 tackles for loss, eight sacks, uh, all conference there. I mean, he's a playmaker. Uh, he had a good spring, really interested to see what he can get done in the secondary. I figure they'll line him up in a number of spots. And, uh, you know, of course, the two JUCO defensive tackles. I mean, anytime you get stronger there and, and, a, and a highly regarded freshman coming in, Taiwan Malone, all, all of those are going to play a part, all those guys. Um, but having Otis Reese for the entire season and not just three games, with his production from three games last year, if you multiply that out over 12 games, I mean, you're talking about all-conference-type numbers, like like uh, 90 tackles, four interceptions, I mean, just a, a big play guy. Having him for an entire season, I think, is going to make a big difference. Um so I think there are a lot of reasons that the defense uh, can be better. How do you see quarterback lining up? We know Matt Corral's a starter. We know that. Uh, what's what's behind him? What do you think? Well, that kind of depends what Lane Kiffin's grand scheme for John Rice Plumley is, right? Uh, and he, you know, Lane loves to keep it close to the vest and always have a smile on his face, but not give you anything. Um, I, I, I think it's going to depend. You know, if if Matt was to go down for whatever reason and had to miss a stretch, not just a couple plays, a stretch, I think that changes who would come in more than if what if it was just for a couple plays. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Matt does things that John Rice doesn't do great. And, and I think that Lane Kiffin has a very specific type of quarterback that he likes. Um, you know, obviously he loves John Rice Plumley. He wants to get him the ball. He wants to put him in space, but I, I don't necessarily know if, if he is, I don't know if you can have run the same offense with him that you can with Matt. And so, you know, you, you look behind and uh, you know, I'm pronouncing Is it Kincaid? Yes. Kincaid. Dent. Okay. Kincaid Den. I mean, he's, he's one you got to look at. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I don't think I don't I don't think Lane is preparing for Matt Corral to get hurt because then I think he knows it's 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 going to be bad. Um, lose an all conference quarterback for whatever reason. Um, you know I don't think anyone's ever really in a good spot unless you're Alabama and you've got another five star in the wings. But um, I, I think that if it was for a stretch of a couple of games, I think you'd be more likely to see someone like Kincaid than. John Rice Plumley start games because I just don't think that over the course of a, of a significant stretch that he would maybe run the offense the way that Lane needs it to be run. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I really like uh, the idea of John Rice at slot receiver, and I think he's going to make a big impact. He obviously did in the bowl game, a big win over Indiana. Uh, he'll make an even bigger impact. I, I think that Jonathan Mingo will start in the slot. Uh, but Jonathan, for all his athleticism, uh, has had a problem with drops in two years. He's, he's had those. Maybe he is more mature. Maybe he moves on from that. But if he doesn't, I think John Rice's opportunities increase. And I think he'll make a big impact at, uh, at slot receiver. I think he's going to move around. I think he's going to keep defenses guessing. I think he'll take some snaps at quarterback. But, you know, John Rice uh, played some quarterback last year, got in a, you know, a number of games, and he just didn't reel off the big runs and have the big plays that he did as a freshman. Uh, maybe part of that was new offense. Uh, maybe part of it was defenses knowing who he was. Um, I just I think uh, if they have to go for a stretch without Corral, uh, I, I think Ken K. Dent can be pretty good. I, I, I don't think he can be Corral. Uh, I don't think he's that guy. I mean, as you say, most teams, there's some drop-off from uh, QB1 to QB2. Uh, but I think that uh, Kincaid uh, has some mobility, uh, looked just okay in the spring, not great. And I think uh, part of that might have been uh, the receivers he was throwing to. You put him with the best receivers, I think uh, that changes a little bit. I think uh, he'll be able to run the offense. I think there are some things that that, uh, that he can do. I think he'll, he'll be uh, competitive uh, if that situation arises. And if he's not, then I think you'll see Luke Altmaier. Uh, so, you know, it will be interesting, but uh, without a doubt, uh, the best plan for Ole Miss at quarterback is for Matt Corral to play every game. So uh, going to be uh, interesting there at that position. What what do you think uh, are other intriguing position battles in camp? I mean, for me, it, it, receiver has to be up there just because I don't know if it's necessarily a battle so much as it is can one guy is it going to be one guy or is it going to have to be this group effort um to, to replace the elijah Moore production um you know guys like that don't come along super well they've come along re uh, fairly recently a lot at Ole miss but uh you know you don't get a lot of for most programs it's very hard to replace that production with one guy immediately and uh, I, i'm interested to see if if they are going to if it's ontario if it's you know, Braylon, whoever it is, is it somebody like that who are, is somebody going to get a concentrated rise in targets or is it going to be spread out among a bunch of guys? And I think for, and I think that's, that's going to depend how confident Lane is with his receivers, you know, as growing up watching his USC teams, if he has a number one receiver, he feeds the guy. Uh, if he has a number one, he will throw that guy the ball. Even if he's not getting up from the field, he will keep throwing it to him. And, and so I, I think in a perfect world, he wants that kind of bell cow receiver. Is that guy there yet? It's hard to say. And so I think for me, that's it's not so much a battle, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see if, if, if one of those guys, if it's a one-to-one -one, you know, here's our new quote-unquote Elijah Moore, or here's three or four guys that are going to have to put together 
you know, his production. I think for me, that's, um, that's, that, that's going to be intriguing because as good as Matt Corral is, uh, he's only going to be as, you know, I know quarterbacks can make a receiver look good, but most of the time receivers make quarterbacks look really good. Uh, and so I, you know, I, as good as that is, I think he's, he's going to need to find out pretty quickly who his guys are. You know, um, you make uh, an interesting uh, point there. Um, as the other receivers that have come through uh, the Ole Miss program, and there have been some really good ones, obviously. Uh, I just think uh, Elijah Moore was up there, man. I, I put him up there maybe uh, over over some guys like an A.J. Brown, a, a, a D.K. Metcalf, uh, another one who was so good. T- to me, what I want to see from a receiver is just catch the ball. You know, ca- catch the ball. Catch it almost all the time. That's that's pretty high standard. But uh, Elijah Moore caught it almost all the time. Seemed like Laquan Treadwell caught it almost all the time. And, uh, you know, as athletic as uh, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf were, I, sometimes, you know, that you, you would hear that groan from the stadium from a drop, I think. From, from them, certainly, certainly they were rare but a, a little more than what I think I saw from uh, Elijah Moore uh, is that kind of receiver on this team. Can Ontario Drummond be that kind of receiver? Not, you know, probably not going to get open uh, in the way that Elijah seemed to do, you know, so often. Probably that's a little more of a struggle, which puts a little more pressure on Corral. Okay. I thought last year that uh, as, as far as receivers making quarterbacks look good, yeah, you know, that that works. Like I said, that works both ways. But there were some balls thrown by Corral last year as he completed, what, 70% or more. Uh, there were some balls thrown that I thought could have been placed better. There were some balls thrown that, uh, that Elijah caught, maybe had to reach down to his knees or something like that, make a low catch. And, uh, you know, part of accuracy is placement. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I do think they have the components to spread that production around and uh, and have a good room of wide receivers, so to speak. I think they've got some interesting uh, new pieces as well. Another position I think uh, to keep an eye on is offensive line. And, uh, you know, they returned some really good starters. Nick Broker at left tackle, Ben Brown in the middle. Jeremy James was a, a freshman All-American Last year, they've got some really good components there, only losing one starter. But you have this random change in position coach, like after spring. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, people speculate and guess as to why that was. But, uh, you know, it it probably wasn't the performance of the offensive line. uh, Because, one, I thought they were pretty good last year. Two, uh, if it's performance, that that change happens probably in December, you know. Yeah, <laughs> not, uh, and and not after spring ball, um, you know. So you got experience, you got talent, you got guys that know the system and, and probably stand a chance to be better. But does the change in position coach affect them at all? Coaching matters, you know. Co- coaching matters. So what does the offensive line look like? Probably going to be pretty good, but. Uh, you know, uh, if uh, if there are some early struggles from the group, you know that might be a might be a red flag uh, to watch for the rest of the year. So, 
Uh, we'll see. I think uh, think they're going to be pretty good. Or what? Where do you think, man? Uh, how many? Where, where did you put uh, Ole Miss in your preseason ballot at uh, uh, in, in media days? I want to say I had them third or fourth in the West. I think I think it was fourth. No, actually, I might have them third. I might have had them above LSU. Um, but it was it was pretty clearly Bama, A and M, and then I think I had Ole Miss third. Yeah. I put them third. It seemed like uh, Alabama and A&M seemed to be, you know, solid at those positions, although, you know, A&M will have a new quarterback. They just were so good on defense and so many of those people coming back. Um, I put Ole Miss ahead of LSU because while, while LSU is the trendy pick right now, I, I, I get it, and I think they'll be pretty good at quarterback. They're still going to be new, still going to be young at quarterback. They still were bad on defense last year. And that was still a game in which Ole Miss, bad as they were on defense, and gave up 300, <clears throat> 300 yards receiving to one guy. Keyshawn Boutte kept running that crossing pattern, and they, they couldn't figure that out, couldn't cover him. Um, you know, that was still a game that Ole Miss, in spite of like six turnovers, was in position to win, was in position to win at the end of the game until they had one more turnover, uh, the Matt Corral fumble. With all those turnovers, they still moving up and down the field. Big plays from Jerrion Ely in that game, Braylon Sanders in that game. Uh, and they're still in position to win, and they just didn't. So, you know, how much difference in those two teams last year? Not much. So I, I had Ole Miss uh, third on the uh, preseason ballot. We'll see uh, – See how it comes out for the Rebels this year, folks. That'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we bring you the relevant talk in Mississippi and the SEC. Thanks for clicking in with us. Uh, Come back and join us next time.